Amen. Well, I've got a seven-pager today, so get comfortable. <laughs> the title of my message is Long-Term Commitments, 2 Chronicles 16, 9. I want you to find it. This is a great passage. You want to put a little star by this one. This is, this is really a, a good verse in God's Word. The eyes of the Lord range or look throughout all the world to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to God. That is a great, great verse. I heard a TV commentator on uh, one of his shows say, ignore the ups and downs and just make long-term commitments. That fellow was talking about the stock market, but he could have been talking about life. You know, life is a lot like that. There, there are times and places when long-term commitments really do pay off in our lives. The sad thing is that today in our society, it seems like technology is speeding up the pace of change. Everything is changing very, very quickly. Uh, people are more and more reluctant, it seems, to make any kind of long-term commitment. Many Americans don't want to be committed to anything uh, very long. If we aren't careful, uh, we won't commit to some things that would be wonderful for us, not only in this life, but in the life beyond. We don't want to commit today to a long-term job. You know, a lot of people go into a place and they think to themselves, well, I might work here three or four years, see if I like it. Uh, then I'll go on to something else. We many times don't want to commit to a long-term marriage. I think I've told you numerous times, the average marriage in America today lasts seven and a half years. So some of you all have really helped those uh, averages. <laughs> a lot of people don't want to commit to a church. You know, they think to themselves, well, you know, I'll just kind of hold off on that. So many do not want to commit to anything. In fact, there's an attitude today. It goes, it goes like this. I want to keep my options open. I don't want to be tied down. I don't want to commit to anything because life is a buffet. And I don't want to get to the end and feel like I've got a whole bunch of stuff on my plate that I don't want. There is such a tragic attitude uh, because you cannot live without making commitments. You know, when you buy a house, you have a mortgage, you make a long-term commitment. Uh, it works out pretty well. Uh, you get married, you make, hopefully, a long-term uh, commitment to that relationship. If you even get a driver's license, you have to go in and you have to sign your name on the dotted line. If we go through life without making any commitments... We drift through life without any direction as to where we're going or where we're going to end up. Today, I want us to look at what the Bible says about long-term commitments. I have four points. Point number one, the power of commitment. Our commitments have three profound effects on our lives. First, my commitments show my values. 
Every time we make a, a commitment, it's saying, I think this is important. In fact, our commitments show what we really love. There is no love without a commitment. All of our single adults that are here this morning, uh, they all know that if somebody says, I love you, and they're not willing to really commit themselves to you, then they really don't love you. It's just that simple. The essence of love is a commitment of oneself to meeting the needs of another person. That's what love is all about. If we say something is important to us, it is not true unless we devote our time, our money, our energy to it. I may say, well, my family is very, very important to me, but I spend all my time and all my effort at work. What does that say? That says that my family really isn't that important to me. I say, well, my health is so important to me, but I'm a chain smoker and I overeat and I don't exercise. Well, really, I'm saying my health is, is not all that important to me. The uncommitted life is really saying nothing is important to me. If you make no commitments in life, you're saying, the only thing that's important to me is me. The uncommitted life, in essence, is pure selfishness. It's saying, I don't consider anyone or anything or any cause in life to be worthy of commitment. I am only committed to me. Secondly, my commitments shape my life. It is a fact I become whatever I am committed to. You are the sum total of all of your commitments. If I believe that making money is the most important thing in my life, then I, I get everything around that central thought and, and I work on that. That's, that shapes my life. If I think being popular is the most important thing in my life, then I shape the rest of my life around that desire. If I think having a good time is the center of my life, then, of course, I, I shape everything around that. Once you choose your commitments in life, your character is set. That's what you are. That's your character. So you'd better choose your commitments carefully. Thirdly, my commitments determine my destiny. History has shown that the destiny of nations is determined by what the people in that nation uh, vote to do or decide to do. Early on in our nation, there were a lot of people that uh, voted and have acted in such a way as to preserve individual freedoms. In America, we think that is very, very important. A lot of people, thousands, tens of thousands of people have died to preserve that right. The very fact that we have the freedom to meet here this morning is because a group of people uh, laid their life on the line to make sure that this could happen. Now, in a personal way, the commitments you and I make not only determine our here and now, 
but they also uh, make up our eternity. When you think about it, the time that we spend here on earth compared to the time in eternity is like uh, one against a trillion. Uh, I mean, there's no comparison. If we commit our lives to Christ, we spend eternity, of course, with him. And there are rewards and there are responsibilities that you have uh, in eternity that are determined by our lives here. Jesus said it like this, Mark 8, 37. What would a man give in exchange for his soul? Have you ever thought about that? What would you give in exchange for your soul? I don't know about you, but I think that's a very, very important question because every day we're exchanging our life for something. Uh, We all are given a certain number of days to live. You know what the average is? The average is 25,550 days. That's the average in America. That's how many days that we have been given. Uh, The average human will live that long. Every day when you wake up, you exchange that day for something. Some of you exchange your life for TV. Some exchange their lives for reading a book. Some people exchange their lives for doing nothing. They just kind of mope around. If you waste time, then you are wasting your life because your life is time. Your time is far more important than your money because you can always replace the money, but you cannot replace the time. Wise people plan how they are going to exchange their life. Wise people plan to exchange by making commitments. In life, every choice you make has a consequence. You say, well, now, you know, this is just a kind of a little insignificant thing over here. That's not important. Well, guess what? All of those things, whether they're big or little, all of those things go together. And in the grand scheme of things, it all adds up to your life. And they all involve your time, and they all influence your eternity. The choices and commitments I make will show my values, will shape my life, and will determine my destiny. Well, point number two, what is the cost of commitment? You know, we always want to know what the cost is. What are the costs of following Christ? Uh, He doesn't beat around the bush. He asks for our uh, commitment. He's very direct in his word, through his Holy Spirit, uh, through the message of the ages, through the apostles, through uh, almost every imaginable way. Jesus said, I want to be first place in your life. Why would Jesus say that? Well, I think, He would say that because he has a right to say it. He created you. He loves you. He has a plan for your life. And he gave his life on a cross for you. Uh, Nobody else has, has done that for you. Nobody else. 
If Jesus expects you to commit your life totally to him in response to what he has done for you, uh, I, I think he has a right to it. Now, some people imagine their life as a pie. Uh, they see a pie, and it's, it's cut into a lot of pieces. As far as they are concerned, Jesus is a mere slice of the pie. They have a slice of their life, a slice of the pie that's set aside for their career. And they have a slice of their pie that's set aside for their family. And there's a slice of their pie that's set aside for their goals and their aspirations, their dreams. And, of course, uh, uh, Christian people don't want to forget about God, so they say, well, i got to uh, provide a space for my Jesus slice. Well, Jesus says to that, no, thank you. No, thank you. I don't want to be a mere slice of anybody's life. I want to be at the very center, the very heart of their life. Sometimes we treat him like the old country music shows of the past. Do you remember those? They would get a whole bunch of famous uh, singers together and, uh, you know, there'd be a big concert and everybody would come and uh, in the early days of TV, I remember they did this, and they'd have the best singers, you know, the country singers come in, and, and they would sing songs. And somebody would sing a song about shacking up, and somebody would sing a song about getting drunk, and someone would sing a song about uh, breaking up another family, and someone would sing a song about uh, killing themselves. And at the end of the show, they'd all get together and sing Amazing Grace. <laughs> you remember that? That's exactly what they did. Cindy and I go to the Strawberry Festival a lot, and, and that's, that's what a lot of the singers do. They come out and they sing these awful songs. And, uh, and then at the end, they say, well, you know, one of our favorite songs you know, and it's some spiritual song. And it, just, it doesn't add up. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't really make sense. Well, if, if Jesus is not the Lord of your life, then he's uh, not Lord at all in your life. The term casual Christian is a contradiction. Uh, I dare to say, if we were to survey our congregation this morning, that almost all of us would say we would like for Jesus to be in first place in our lives. But I also think that a lot of us don't know how to do that. Uh, how do you put Christ first in your life? Well, the Bible, of course, uh, has something to say about that. Uh, we ought to give Christ some of our first thoughts of the day. Now, I don't do a quiet time in the morning. I don't know how many of you do. And I know a lot of people, they like that, and that suits their schedule, and that they're early risers maybe, and they, uh, they do it that way. I don't think this is a legalistic requirement that you have to have a quiet time in the morning before you do everything else. I don't think that's what that verse is saying. Um, Psalms 5.3, in the morning, O Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you. Now, if uh, you have found another time of the day that 
you know, suits your schedule better and suits your life better. You're not a morning person. If you had a, uh, a quiet time early in the morning, you wouldn't know what you were doing uh, because you hadn't had eight cups of coffee yet. So, um, you know, you find which is best for you. I am saying, however, that somewhere early on in the day, we all need to kind of check in with the Lord and say something like this maybe. You know, if you, you don't want to do it in a repetitious way, but you want to say something in there about, Lord, I want to give this day to you. And I want you to use me today. You know, if you do that, it kind of gets the day on the right note and moving in the right direction. Secondly, uh, I give Christ the first day of the week. Acts 20, verse 7 says, On the first day of the week, we, is talking about the disciples, came together to break bread. In other words, they came together uh, to worship. Why do Christians worship on Sunday, the first day of the week? They do it for two reasons. Because we celebrate Christ's resurrection, uh, which was on Sunday. We also do it because it's the first day of the week, and we want to give Christ the priority of every week. We call it the Lord's Day. It's the first day. We also... uh, ought to give him 10% of what we earn. The Bible says in Proverbs 3, 9, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all of your crops. By doing this, we show gratitude for the past, that we are keeping our priorities for the present, and we are trusting God for the future. And then fourth, uh, I give him first consideration in every decision. You know, as you think back in your life this morning in the big, big decisions that you made, did you invite the Lord to come in on those decisions or was it just kind of a thing, you know, you said, well, I'll just try this for a while. You know, we, we need to teach our kids and our grandkids and our great-grandkids this is something that's really important where you're going to go to school, who you're going to marry, uh, you know, what discipline you're going to try and master. Those are very, very important things. And in the big important decisions of life, we need to ask the Lord in to help and guide us and lead us uh, in what what we're trying to do. Uh, Proverbs uh, 3, uh, 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. That's a great verse for this idea of getting him in on every major decision that we make. Some of you today are thinking about a major decision that you're going to make. I mean, it's maybe going to have partial control over the rest of your life. You know, we we need to invite the Lord in. What I think is important for us to do is is to check with some other people. One of the things I really enjoy doing is is talking uh, to really committed Christians and getting their idea about something before I, you know, try and, you know, really push that real hard. 
one of the things about Trinity is that we're very, very blessed. We have a lot of mature uh, Christians in this family, and it's great to, to get together with those. Every time on Sunday morning uh, I see the various uh, classes meeting, I think, isn't that great? You know, we've got a lot of people that are opening God's Word and studying together, and and they're learning the basic elements of the faith and maybe some of the advanced theology of the faith that we can use every day in our lives. If you want to be successful in all the areas of your life, then you need to put the Lord first in your life. Well, my third point is there is a downside of commitment. I have to be honest with you, there are some things that cause us to stumble along the way. I, I want to share these because I want you to be totally successful in your pilgrimage with God. I feel like I have a responsibility to talk to you about some of the major things that are going to come up. A few of you today... Uh, uh, maybe there's two or three here this morning that have never really taken seriously your need to, to make Christ number one in your life. When the tough times come, your commitment just goes out the window. You know, you, you uh, are not really uh, nailed down in the faith and, you know, things get going badly. You think, what am I going to do? Who am I going to listen to? Where am I going? What's going to happen? You know, there's no continuity and there's no force that's behind you that is the Lord God Almighty trying to help you through all these things. Well, when the tough times come, your commitment shouldn't go out the window. Your commitment ought to grow within you and develop within you uh, and become even stronger. As your pastor, I don't want you to lose it all when the tough times come. So I want to warn you of two things that can really uh, trip you up. Number one, we get distracted. We lose focus uh, in our daily Christian walk. Mark 4.19 says, The worries of life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires of other things come in and choke out the word, making it unfruitful. Let me ask you, is there anything evil in that list? No. There's nothing wrong with wealth and success, nothing at all. In fact, those are some of the extras of life that God gives periodically. If those become the priorities of life, however, then God gets bumped out of his rightful place, and then they become idols. You know, these things that shouldn't be in God's place, they get right up there on the stage of our life. Secondly, we become complacent. What happens when we become complacent is we start living off of past commitments, and we fail to make any new commitments. I'm sure that you have heard someone say, I trusted in the Lord in 1957. And, uh, you know, the, the question there is, well, that's wonderful. 
You know, that is wonderful. Glad you nail that down. Have you made any more commitments since then, or have you become complacent with that decision and you really haven't added anything since then? You need to continue to grow in your commitment. If you don't, you will become complacent. And that's not a good thing. Those of us that have been here at Trinity for a while, many of you have been here two or three times longer than I have, uh, you remember some outstanding things that God has done in this church, in this fellowship of believers, how we've taken strong stands to honor the Lord in the life of the church, in the life of the individual church members. It would be easy for us to look at the next decade and say something like this. Well, you know, I've done my part. I've already done my part. It's time for somebody else to step up and, and do his part or her part. Uh, you know, there are a lot of other people here, I'm sure, that could teach. Uh, we need to let them teach. Uh, there are a lot of other people here that could be trustees. There's a lot of other people here that could be uh, on these uh, committees that the church has. I'm, I'm sure that... Uh, uh, some other people could jump up and do that. I've given to building programs in the past. I'm going to let others kind of carry the load on, on this one. We think uh, maybe, you know, we don't need to reach any more people. Our church is big enough. It's big enough. We don't need anybody else. Now, who do you think is giving you those ideas? Is God giving you those ideas? Uh, Satan would love for this church to become complacent, complacent. For if we do, we will miss God's blessing and we will become defeated. We cannot live on yesterday's experience of commitment. We have to keep developing our spiritual muscles every day of our life. And then lastly this morning, the benefit for total commitment. You know, we talked about the cost. Here's the benefit. This is the great part that we all love. God promises both a short-term payoff and a long-term payoff. The short-term payoff is found in Matthew 6, 31. It says, don't worry. Don't worry about what we shall eat or drink or wear. Your heavenly Father knows of your need for these things. Seek ye first God's kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things, all this other stuff will be added unto you. Notice that it says, seek God first. The first benefit is putting God in first place in your life. And then guess what? You don't have to worry anymore. If God is in first place in your life, I'm talking about today. Not 20 years from now. I'm talking about today. If God is in first place in your life, then he's going to meet the needs that you have, the real needs, not all the wants, but the needs that you have. Jesus said, when we put God first in our life, God assumes the responsibility for every need that we have. And then the long-term benefit, it's found in Matthew 25, 23. The master will say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You have been faithful 
in a few things. I'm going to put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. When I was a little kid, uh, my parents uh, never said, come and share our happiness. I never heard that. Did, did you hear that? I never heard that. Um, you know, it was, it was a very somber uh, kind of uh, situation there at the house. When I would get away, I would laugh and cut up and have a good time. Uh, we didn't do that much around the house. Um, there are eternal benefits in this joy, this happiness, uh, this exuberance, if you will, is eternally yours. Isn't that wonderful? It's eternally yours. If you have affirmed God, God will look at you and say, well done. You know the, the uh, quartet this morning, I, I was sitting over there, and, I, and when they got through, I said, well done, well done. You know, they did a good job. You know, God is going to say to us in so many ways at so many times, well done, well done. You know, that's really kind of what makes life is when the only judge that there is that really counts says to us, well done, well done. God is looking for people that he can bless. He is looking for people that he can strengthen. The only qualification is a fully committed heart. I want to end where I started. Second Chronicles 16.9 says, The eyes of the Lord are ranging throughout the earth to strengthen those that are fully committed to God. I hope all of you here today have made a long-term commitment to him. We want to have a hymn of invitation, a time when we invite people to come and trust Christ, when we invite people to come and join our church, when we invite people to come and rededicate their life, maybe to make a, a, new, a new commitment. You know, some people want to do that. Make a new commitment to the Lord in some area of your life. However you feel that God is leading you today, I'm going to be standing down here at the front and and we want you to cast aside uh, all your reservations and come and, and really take a strong stand for Jesus. I pray that you'll do that today. Let's stand and sing together.